have a seat. And I just want to say before we get diving in, I am excited because our college students are back, right? Let's praise the Lord. We have officially come. Y'all, we love our college students. A huge part of why we planted near USF was because we, we believe if we reach the campus, we can reach the world, which has a lot of what we're going to talk about today. But tonight, before, before we jump in, we have a night of, another night of prayer and worship. Uh, and y'all, these are must-come-tos, right? Like, you must come to these things because, y'all, these are huge and, and pivotal, pivotal to our church. Every time we come and gather and worship and pray, God tends to move in mighty ways. And so I want to invite you to come to us because we're a desperate and a depending church. Uh, we sow the seed, but we are dependent on God to bring the rain, okay? So I want to invite you to guys to come and join tonight. But for today... We are officially in week three of our DNA series that will be ending next week. And then uh, we're moving into the book of Joshua for about three months, seeing how God does incredible things for his people. Uh, We've titled this upcoming series called God of the Impossible because throughout the book of Joshua, we'll see God do seemingly impossible things. And as God's people today, thousands of years later, we can be confident, as the Word tells us, that God is the same God today, yesterday, and forever. And one of my many hopes and prayers for this series is that we would, it would spur us on to be a people full of faith, believing that God is still redeeming and saving and healing and conquering and going to battle for His people. And not just that, we're Uh, We're also, as we go throughout this book, we're also going to see throughout the entire book, each week, how it points to Jesus and how Jesus is the better and truer and greater Joshua. Like, he's the ultimate conqueror. So I'm believing in faith that God will do a work in us and through us, believing, uh, seeing the beginning of lifelong life transformation, but that's in two weeks, okay? So the past two weeks, we've seen our first two core values, seeing how authentic relationships and intentional discipleship are essential to the life of our church. We desire to be a people that love one another, care for one another, and will be genuine and honest with one another. And why? Because this is what the Bible teaches as essential to life transformation in the life of a believer. We don't first think programs. No, we first think people. God works through people, and so we are a people-first church. And so everything we do is filtered through the lens of, will this help foster real and meaningful relationships? Everything we do. And then last week, we looked at intentional discipleship and talked about how discipleship is God's plan to reach the world. Like God's strategy to reach neighborhoods and cities and other nations is to invest in a few people in order to reach the masses. Like, we don't try to reach the masses and then neglect investing our life into people. No, we want to train, equip, and year after year, build up an army of Navy SEALs that are equipped for God's global purposes. And when we think about Navy SEALs, they're the best of the best, uh, that go through rigorous training and equipping. And y'all, do you know why I know this? Because I've read a book on Navy SEALs, okay? (laughs) Y'all, it's intense stuff. But you know what I also know? Just because I've read a book and studied it and spent time learning it uh, doesn't actually make me a Navy SEAL. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. No, in order to be a Navy SEAL, you have to actually go through the real experiences that were taught. You have to go through the ranks and put in the time and do the the crazy intense tests and challenges to be built up to be a SEAL. Like you can't become a Navy SEAL by staying in a classroom. While at the same time, 
You won't survive as a Navy SEAL if you don't prepare your mind and learn in the classroom as a SEAL. Like you need both, knowledge and real experiences. And it's the same with discipleship. We teach the word and model the word with real life. You know what you need for that to happen? Real authentic relationships with people. Again, all of our core values, I hope you're seeing this, all of our core values, authentic relationships, intentional discipleship, and for today, missional urgency. All three of these are interconnected. And so how do we disciple people and reach people? We have to truly care for people and love people. And how do we truly love people? We disciple them and we tell them about Jesus. So how do we reach more people? We disciple people and love lost people. Like they're all connected. And so if... New City Church exists to see Jesus change lives and reach the world, which is our vision. If we want to see life change and healing and restoration month after month and year after year, if we want to see the wounded and the wandering and the weary come in and be revived both here in Tampa and around the world, then we believe our core values will get us there. Again, our vision is where we're going. Our core values that we've been looking at through this series are the vehicle that we believe that God has entrusted to us to get us there. But then prayer, the Spirit of God and the Word of God, that's the fuel. That's the power that moves the, in, that moves the vehicle. So just like the past two weeks, we're doing a flyover of 1 John. And as we get to different parts, uh, we'll stop and see what the Word says about our core values. And today it's missional urgency. Again, this is uh, different than going line by line and verse by verse like we often do here. But rather, this is more, th today uh, in this series is more thematic in nature, which is also helpful from time to time. There's so many themes that run all over the Bible, and so it's good in, in time, at times, to see them together. And so today we're looking at missional urgency, which leads us to our main idea. Missional urgency is part of the normal Christian life. Again, nothing earth-shattering here. Our, our, our core values are nothing special. We believe it's just what comes from following Jesus. And just like last week, I want to start by talking about kind of global missions uh, and missional urgency from just a generic standpoint. Uh, and then in the second half, uh, we'll look more specifically at 1 John with several uh, quick thoughts, kind of like last week with uh, more geared towards missional urgency. So hang with me for about 10 to 15 minutes as I kind of look at this broader picture uh, before we get to 1 John, looking at, uh, looking at more specifically at the text. So last week we looked at uh, the end of Matthew 28, seeing the Great Commission and how Jesus' last imparting words were uh, before he left the earth. Uh, and this is what it says. Look at verses 18 to 20 in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Y'all, there's so much there. You know, last week we emphasized making disciples, and this week I want to emphasize make disciples of all nations. Like God's plan and purpose for all followers of Jesus is to make disciples of all people, like all over the world, of every tribe and language and people and nation. This is the story of the entire Bible. So in, we could say this, an obedient Christian is a global Christian. So obedience to Jesus moves people to be a Christian that cares for the entire world. And why? Because we just saw that Jesus commands it. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, from start to finish, the entire Bible is clear that God's plan for the world is to fill the earth with worshipers, and not just here in Tampa, and not just in the United States, and not just those that we're connected to and we understand from a relational level. 
No, God's heart and desire is for all people all over the world to worship God, no matter their current religious background, no matter their culture, social status, political or philosophical ideas, or even if they have a long-standing history of doing terrible, terrible things. Like God's plan is for all people all over the world to worship him, which let, uh, let us also say includes your neighbor and your classmates, your coworkers, and all of Tampa. Because when Jesus came to earth, he was carrying uh, the baton of God's plan that God made from the beginning of time to fill the entire earth with worshipers. And then Jesus has now passed that baton that he was carrying. He has now passed it to us. And so it's a command, both local and global missions. Like it's not a department of the church. It's not that some do it and some don't. No, it's for every Christian that walks the earth. Okay, and no, this does not mean every Christian moves their life to another country to live among a people who have never heard the name of Jesus. But it does mean every Christian is a part of the process in some way. Like in our city groups, each week we take time and we try to pray for the unreached around the world. Like we have people right now going on short-term trips that are trying to raise money to go to the unreached. Like, we have a link on our giving page on our website to give to those trips. They also have a coffee table. They have a, a table outside. You can give there. Like, we have people who are praying about moving their life in a long-term, in a mid-term capacity. And so whether praying or giving or going, supporting or holding the ropes and encouraging, y'all, we all play a part in the global mission of God. And so if you're living on mission, if you're, if you're, if you're living on mission here with our church and serving and giving, and discipling, and trying to reach lost people, you are playing a part in God's global mission. Because listen, the reason we started New City Church a couple years ago was founded on the burden to send people all over the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. Again, this doesn't mean everybody in our church moves, but it does mean some do and some will. But again, know this, if you labor here and putting your anchor down here in the Tampa Bay area and at New City, you are without a doubt helping to build a battleship that will send people all over the world. You know, I really mean this. We are committed at all costs to do whatever it takes to send people around the world to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. And this is a non-negotiable for us. And why? Because the mission is urgent. Y'all, for whatever reason, in God's kindness, in my own personal life, as soon as I became a Christian... God starting provided opportunities for me to see global missions firsthand. You know, in high school, soon after I became a Christian, I went to Mexico and the Dominican Republic. You know, the first time I ever preached was in the streets of the Dominican Republic. They looked at me as a high school kid, handed me a mic in the street and said, Hey, you, you're going to preach today. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like a deer in the headlights. Uh, but I stood up in the middle of the streets, opened my Bible and preached. Not really sure what came out, but I did something. Okay. Fast forward, when I was finishing seminary, several years ago, I was in the business world doing student ministry. God provided an opportunity for me, uh, my wife, Kelly, and our oldest daughter to pick up our life and move to Central Asia as missionaries teaching high school kids and middle school kids. And while we were over there, we continued to see God working in different cultures and languages in all different parts of the world. And everywhere we went, the recurring theme was people saying, please, send, please send more people, send more laborers. We need more laborers. And after our time was up in Central Asia, we moved back uh, with our oldest. He was two years old at the time. We had two more kids with family and friends and a good job back in the business world. Life was good and easy. I was happy and content thinking, yo, I could do this forever. 
Kelly kept saying, Eric, what are we doing with our life? In the meantime, I was asked to lead several trips to South Asia. On our third trip, we show up to a village that had never heard the name of Jesus, and many of y'all have heard this several times. But in that village, a small church was birthed in a three days on a short-term trip that were, they were just hungry and eager to hear truth. And by the end of that trip, we went up to the top of the mountain where there was a Buddhist temple, and as far as the eye could see, in this one state, there were 70 million people and 10 missionaries. Like there were likely more Christians in my own city at the time of 300,000 people than in the entire state in South Asia of 70 million people. We showed up, shared the gospel, people responded, but there were still 70 million people in the state, 1.2 billion in the entire country that needed Jesus. And Luke 10, 2 became very clear in that moment, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And in that moment, God made the vision of New City Church really clear. Asking, do we believe that God could use us to plant a church that would send people to the ends of the earth? Seeing firsthand that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So I go home and I tell Kelly, I think God may be leading us to plant a church. And she responded, well, duh, you knucklehead. I've been saying that for years. No, she didn't say that. But uh, she did say, I think you're right, it seems to be in line with our giftings and desires that God has given us. And here we are over five years after that conversation, after sending 11 people to the Dominican and about to send five people to South Asia and already thinking about several trips in 2023, believing in faith that many more will be sent out on short-term, mid-term, and long-term missions to the unreached around the world. You know what, I can say with total confidence, without a doubt in my mind, that we are beginning, we are at the beginning of the race, praying for God to send many, many more in the years to come. Because we are a church that believes the mission of God is urgent. Like there are literally billions of people all over the world that have never heard the name of Jesus. And unless something changes, they are all leading towards an eternity totally separated from God. Again, the mission of God is urgent. Not just around the world, but there are millions of people here in the Tampa Bay area that are searching for hope and direction and have still yet to truly understand the good news of Jesus in a life-changing way. All statistics tell us that half of the people we interact with, one in two people, one out of every, one out of 50% of the people that we interact with don't know or understand that faith in Jesus alone is what gets people to heaven. Like, people think doing more good than bad uh, is the way to heaven. And that's just not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. There are 50,000 college students at USF, 18,000 high school students within 10 miles of right here, thousands of retirees, empty nesters, families, and young professionals that were made to worship God, but yet are worshiping other things that don't satisfy. New City, the mission of God is urgent. There's no doubt about it. If we're going to see life change and reach people, reach the world with the hope of Jesus, a missionally urgent people is necessary. A laboring people is necessary to the mission of God. Because, y'all, listen, we can't miss this. We cannot miss this. God's people are God's means and method for reaching the world with the gospel. That's his plan. That's what Jesus has entrusted to us in the great commission. We join with God in the great commission, which means we can't sit back and observe. Which means every person plays a part in the mission. And we say here often, every member is a missionary Every person is called to live on mission where God has placed them, wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we play and have fun. I mean, just me personally, 
My mission field is, is first my family, then I also uh, help coach a baseball team. I'm one of the coaches, also talking to my neighbors in the front yard, playing, uh, playing in the front yard, not the backyard, so we can interact with our, our neighbors. I also try to be on campus at USF and high schools, high schools wherever, whenever I can. Y'all, we all have a mission field. Every single one of us, we have a mission field. We just need to open up our eyes and look and see because we need to retrain our minds to think wherever we go is our mission field. So God calls everyone to be a missionary wherever they live, but then God also calls some to move their lives where language and culture barriers exist among unreached people around the world, where the name of Jesus has literally never been heard. But the point is, God has called every follower of Jesus into his mission to reach the world with the gospel, and sitting idly, Jesus has made very clear, is disobedient to his command. And I know that this may seem a little intense to some, <laughs> but we're trying to train up people that are like Navy SEALs to God's mission. You know, we've got our next serve week coming up where we intentionally seek to serve the poor and the orphan and the widow and the unwed mother and refugees around, this, around our area. And I can't help but think how this is an excellent training ground for global missions. Like it's a simple, small step in the right direction. Like we have an opportunity cross cultures to host an English club with non-native speakers with an awesome opportunity to get a taste of what it's like to cross cultures. You know, the mission of God is urgent both here in Tampa and around the world. And maybe this picture will help, like, illustrate this urgency idea. Imagine just being a firefighter, sitting outside of a burning building, and you, the firefighter, has been equipped with the gear and training necessary to save the people in the building. What would you do? You'd put on all your gear and hopefully run into the building with a bit of urgency. But just imagine sitting, seeing a firefighter sitting outside the burning building and doing nothing and maybe just thinking, well, maybe someone else will get them. Or maybe they'll be fine and make it out on their own. Or uh, it's kind of hot today. Uh, maybe it'll come back later when it's not so hot. I'm like, well, yeah, there's a fire. It's going to be hot. I mean, let's just, let's just say, say I don't think we'd be too happy with the firefighter. And why? Because the mission is urgent. A burning building is urgent. And to that we also say, again, the mission of God is urgent. And as soon as I say that and speak of all of this urgency, I want to make really clear this does not mean we live in a constant state of panic and guilt as if it is up to us to save the world because yes we are a missionally urgent people but remember God's means to reach the world is discipleship which is often slow please listen okay being a missionally urgent people doesn't mean we're always on the move no it means for many we anchor down love people we live on mission wherever we are living in authentic relationships and please get this, missional urgency also doesn't mean we don't rest. Because no, God also commands a Sabbath, a time to worship and rest, to be recharged. Like this is God's means and plans to reach the world. God reaches the world through a resting and worshiping people. And not a people driven by guilt and fear, which I know that fire illustration can easily do. We must live in the balance of God's intended design. You know, about four years ago, I, I sat down with a guy who worked on staff of the church and their youth and kids department. You know, he was considering coming down here to help us start our church, and I listened to him talk, and he was desperate to get out of his situation because the guy hadn't had a day off in eight months. He worked seven days a week, 10 to 12 hour days, and I looked at him straight up and said, you need to quit your job, and you need to find a new church because the way, uh, that is not the way God has intended for his mission to go forth. 
And he looked at me and said, well, yeah, but the mission is urgent. There's no time to rest. And I looked at him again and said, Jesus rested from ministry. God rested after he created, and God commanded you to stop and rest. And if you do not take a day off, you are disobeying the Lord. And he really listened. And a few months later, he found a different job. Church, listen, being driven by guilt and thinking it's all up to us is not what it means to be missionally urgent. And so let's ask, what does it mean to be missionally urgent? And so for the second half of our time, we're going to look at 1 John and see what this letter has to say about God and his mission, seeing, like we did last week, six quick thoughts on what it looks like to be a missionally urgent people. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So Jesus makes it clear that we have a message, that we have words that are to be proclaimed. And John says that the message we proclaim is that God is light and there is no darkness. And so if we were to kind of keep reading in 1 John, we'd see this theme of light and darkness throughout the entire letter. And what we know from the Gospels and other New Testament letters is that Jesus is the light. That God is the light, as John said, leading us to our very first point. Number one, a missionally urgent people are a gospel-proclaiming people. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that the gospel is the light of the glory of God. The gospel is the light that illuminates God's glory. And so if you're here today and you have no clue what the gospel is, please listen. Because it's simply a message. It's words. That's what's shown to us through Jesus. And this message, it starts with the basic foundation that God created us to know him and to be in a relationship with him and to follow him and to worship him. But because of our own sin, our disobedience, uh, that can't happen. Like just one sin, one of our sins, one level of disobeying God separates us from God forever. And if we've done just one thing, apart from God's intended design, just to have, we have an imaginary wall between us and God forever. Like doing more good than bad, that won't get us to heaven. Saying our prayers and going to church, that won't work either. Like there are no rituals that we can do that will get us to God. No, in order to be in God's presence forever, we have to be totally free and clean of sin. And the bad news is that every single one of us on this planet has sin in our life. We've all done at least one thing, many, many more in our life that has separated us from God. But the good news is, like, what did God do? He sent his son Jesus to rescue us and to pay that penalty of our sin by dying on the cross. Our sin deserves the punishment of death and separation, but God sent his son Jesus to the cross to die in our place and to take the penalty of our sin. And the good news is, for all those who believe in Jesus, we get Jesus' clean record. It's clean. We sin, Jesus took the punishment, we deserved, and yet we still get his reward. But it's on, it only comes when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Again, the only path to heaven, back to God, is to believe in Jesus. The Bible is very, very clear. There is no other way. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the light. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And get this, it's not just a message that we believe for eternal life, but it's also a message that directs us towards full life on this earth. 
And so if you're here today and you've never heard this, or this is uh, new to you, I really mean this. If all this is totally new to you, the single most important thing for you to do today is to ask someone about this good news because it is so good. And just ask, hey, can you explain the gospel to me? Like, I have some questions, or, or come and talk to me about it, or come to t- t- talk to anybody here. This is, like, this is truly a life-changing message. And there's so much to say here, but what I want to point out in this point is that a missionally urgent people are a proclaiming people, a speaking people. We tell about this message uh, of Jesus. Again, God's global mission comes with a message, and we, his people, have been entrusted to tell all those around us and around the world with it. Let's keep reading. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. Good news. Let's skip down to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Again, there's so much here. But John is re-emphasizing this gospel message, reminding us that Jesus is our advocate. He's advocating for us on our behalf. And then in verse 2, he says, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, which is just a fancy word for saying he took the penalty for our sin. And then he says in the second half of verse 2, Uh, And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Showing our next quick thought from this verse that I want us to see. Number two, a missionally urgent people understand forgiveness and grace. In chapter 1, verse 9, John writes that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Chapter 2, verse 1, we also see that Jesus doesn't just forgive us, but he also advocates for us. And he took the penalty of sin for us. Like this is just a few verses, but this is all over 1 John. And I wanted to point this out with mission, within missional urgency because the beauty of this compels us towards mission. Yes, being freed from an eternity apart from God, yes, that's good and great, and we celebrate that, and that will certainly drive us towards mission, kind of like the firefighter illustration. There's urgency there. But that's not the only thing. Like what drives us to live with missional urgency is also remembering our own forgiveness and grace. When we grasp that every, literally every single day we have Jesus Christ, God's Son, advocating for each and every one of us who proclaim Christ for us, for life, for lifelong transformation in us. Like that in itself is an incredible gift that we're not alone and that we're not totally powerless. When a person is in bondage to sin or a way of life that seems crippling and hopeless, the gospel tells us that we're not hopeless. And that Jesus Christ, who is God, is pleading to God for us, and it empowers us with hope. When we realize we're forgiven by God and we don't have a massive boulder around our neck because of our past, and that there is total forgiveness from Jesus no matter what we've done, y'all, we can walk with joy and just a little bit of an extra spring in our step. Like when we were daily given grace and forgiveness, being lavished with gifts from God for what we do not deserve, and then called new creation because of Jesus, y'all, there is a joy that can be found, no matter the circumstances. John wrote in chapter 1, verse 4, saying, he writes all these things, for our joy to be complete. 
Again, yes, missional urgency can certainly be driven by the reality of hell, but what I also know is that the same reality, is that same reality can also drive us to fear and guilt. And if our motivating factor is driven by fear, it will be a joyless mission. But when we're driven because of joy and the treasures we have found in Jesus, driven by worship and thankfulness, new city, this is an entirely different type of urgency. Like it's an urgency driven by joy and not fear and guilt. Those who know how much they've been forgiven are compelled to mission by worship. will also be eager to offer the same forgiveness to others. So much more to say, but let's keep moving. Uh, look at chapter 2, verse 9. Let's uh, see our third point out of chapter 2, verse 9. We also see, number three, a missionally urgent people are a global people. John said in that same verse we read a, a little while ago, not just our sins in verse 9, but the sins of the whole world. Well, I know we've already touched on this a good bit, but I want to bring it up again and flesh it out some more because the reality is that there are people all over the world that have never heard the name of Jesus, which I've already said multiple times. But the reason this is so significant is because there are people all over the world that are trying to find forgiveness but yet can't truly find it. And why? Because they don't know the one who can fully pay for their sins. They don't know Jesus. God created them to be image bearers, made in his image to worship him, but yet they don't know because they don't know Jesus. Now, I've watched people in the Middle East try to bathe and clean themselves with algae-infested water, believing that bathing in the water would offer them forgiveness, but guess what? It didn't work. They're still guilty because only believing in Jesus would forgive them of their sins. You know, I've watched people worship statues bowing down in the streets in South Asia, offering up incense to a literal statue idol, trying to find forgiveness of their sin, but it didn't work because only Jesus can forgive. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of sheep travel from mountains and villages to the cities in Central Asia to be offered up as a sacrifice to be cleansed of their sin, but it did not work because, again, only the blood of Jesus shed at the cross provides forgiveness. New City Church, just let this sit. Like literally half of the world will be born, die, and live their entire life without knowing how to find true forgiveness from sin. The mission of God is urgent. And the crazy part is, there's no denying this, the desire for forgiveness is found in the heart of every human on the planet. We all want to be set free from guilt for all the wrongs we've done. Every human experiences this at some level. Like there is guilt within our hearts that knows we're guilty of sin, and yet only by the blood of Jesus are we set free. Church, this is good news. We and others around the world can find true freedom. Like today, through Jesus Christ, we can be set free. But if the name of Jesus is not known and the bloody cross uh, with a, a crucified Jesus that rose from the dead isn't understood, forgiveness can't be found. Like it's one thing to hear of Jesus and reject it, but it's an entirely different thing for people to never even have the opportunity to hear the gospel because nobody ever told them. Again, church, this is why we go to the ends of the earth. This is why we leave houses and families and possessions and go to the unreached. This is why we go on short-term and mid-term and long-term trips, because the name of Jesus must be heard. This is why we invest in other cultures here in our area and do things here locally, like Serve Week and also airport pickups. But again, not only that, but also because God's heart is for the entire world. God has offered forgiveness to the world, but forgiveness can't be found unless the message is proclaimed, and so then we must go and tell them. Let's keep going. Look down at chapter 3, verse 23. 
And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Again, God's purpose for us is to believe in the name of Jesus. Again, the name of Jesus is vitally important to the mission of God. If Jesus' name is not said, eternity with God and forgiveness of sin is not possible. And then he said in verse 23, And love one another, just as he has commanded us. Like This should go without saying, but I want to say it anyways because it's all over the book of John. Number four, a missionally urgent people are a loving people. And unfortunately, when urgency is at stake and we're putting in hard work and laboring and sacrificing time and effort for the mission, it's so incredibly easy for patience and gentleness and long-suffering to easily be lost. We talked about this at length two weeks ago, but we cannot forget that part of God's mission is to love people and to care for people and to invest in the lives of people. You know, I'm all for broad seed sowing and, sh- and sharing the gospel with as many people as we possibly can to get the message out. We must do it, and it's good for us to do. Like, I go on campus at USF and do this from time to time. I've done this in public spaces from time to time. I've did it almost every day living overseas, and it was fairly effective. But we must also understand our context here in Tampa. In many ways, we're in a post-Christian context where Christianity, for so many, is viewed as a thing of the past. And a broader approach is often needed. Relational life-on-life evangelism where we spend time together and do things together and share meals together and really show people that we care for them. Like, this is really helpful for people to see the beauty of Jesus in us, but it takes patience and gentleness and grace. But I must also say, yes, we love and care for people, but we must also speak the message of Jesus in order to truly love people. Let's look at the very next uh, verse in chapter 4, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us and by the Spirit whom he has given us. We saw in verse 23 in our last point that Jesus commands us to believe in him. And now he's saying those who believe in him abide in him. This word abide, John uses often. We also saw it back in the Gospel of John when we were going through that book. Showing us in relation to God's mission, number five, emissionally urgent people are an abiding people. To abide means to remain in the Lord, to stay connected to Jesus. Again, we saw this this past summer in John 15. Jesus calls his disciples and followers to remain connected to Jesus through word and through the prayer. Like, this is so important for us to get as it relates to missional urgency. Because when we live on mission with urgency, we are totally pouring out our lives as a living sacrifice, as we see in the book of 1 Peter. But in order to pour out something, we have to have something to pour out. I'll say this until I'm blue in the face. Like I just told all of our leaders this a few weeks ago, that our personal worship, our abiding worship, our time with Jesus in his word, may be the single greatest gift we can give to those around us. We cannot run the marathon of God's mission if we're not being daily refueled in the race. Our own personal worship of the Lord, both corporate and personal worship, is what will fuel us to sacrifice and live on mission day in and day out. So I don't know about you, but when I squeeze, out a, dry, when I squeeze a dried out orange, I'm not getting any orange juice. Like, so if we're called to live our lives as a living sacrifice day in and day out, sacrificing on mission to disciple our kids and families, we love those around us at work and where we live to be able to be consistently show the love of Jesus, we must be an abiding people. 
Again, our worship must fuel our mission because fear and guilt, it will not last. Now, I could probably get a lot of people into missions with a lot of crazy stats, speaking of the reality of hell, and in many ways, those, those stats and speaking of hell, it's good and sobering to hear of them, and I've shared some of them today. But you know what? That won't keep you on mission. That won't help you thrive on mission. Our worship must be what drives us to live on mission on campus and at school and at the ball field and around the world because, again, when we abide in Jesus and daily worship Jesus, the Spirit of God moves in us to live with zeal and urgency. And then lastly, look at chapter 5, verse 13 to 15 for our final point. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So John is writing this letter for their assurance. That's that's one of the reasons he's writing this letter, and that they would know that they are in Christ. And then in verse 14 and 15, he speaks of asking according to God's will, knowing that God hears our prayers. And so John is emphasizing that those who abide in Jesus and worship Jesus, they will also be a praying people, leading us to our last quick thought. Number six, a missionally urgent people are a praying people. We labor and we labor and we labor, pouring out our lives as a living sacrifice, proclaiming and loving and sharing the love of Jesus. But at the end of the day, we know that it's totally up to God to make it happen. We labor, but God brings the growth. And so what do we do? We get on our faces and we beg and we pray and we plead to God to save people, to change people, and to soften hearts. You know, one of the things that rocked me in a book I read this past summer on prayer was by Pastor J.D. Greer. It was him saying, we have all sorts of reasons for our prayerlessness, but at the end of the day, we're prayerless because our pride and independence causes us to lack dependence on the Lord. Prayerlessness is sometimes, yes, it is sometimes a discipline issue, but oftentimes it's more of a dependence issue. And we think it's all up to us to see God's mission happen. We run and we strive and we burn out. And we struggle to rest and worship. But when we realize that the mission of God is in the hands of God, and that He has just graciously entrusted it to us, all of a sudden we can just rest and find peace, and we can go to bed at night knowing that this is God's world, and this is God's mission. And when we realize it's in God's hand, the burden and passion we find by global lostness, it gets turned into prayer. Praying for the hand of God to move in power. And so if we want to see people come to Christ in your classes and on campus and in your neighborhoods and at work and in our families, what do we do? We pray and we pray and we pray. If we want to be more zealous for God and his mission, you know the best remedy for that? (laughs) Pray and pray and pray some more. Because when we pray, God changes our hearts. If we want to see something in our life change, maybe a sin struggle, what do we do? We pray and we pray and we pray and we also take practical steps. A praying people are a missionally urgent people, and a missionally urgent people are also a praying people. Those who pray, we also labor, and those who labor, we also pray. They're all one and the same. Oftentimes we start praying for something or someone, God will often then use us to be an answer to those prayers. You know, our hope and our prayer is that every single person that calls New City Church home and family would have about three to five people here in Tampa that do not know Jesus and commit, just commit to praying for them. 
And when you think of a church of about 150 people like ours, and if each person is praying for three to five people that don't know Jesus in Tampa, all of a sudden our small little church is praying collectively for five or 600 people in the Tampa Bay area just to believe in Jesus. I mean, could you just imagine how, how absolutely crazy it would be if just 10%, one in 10, over the next six months responded in faith if all of those people heard the gospel and believed, y'all, that's about 50 to 60 people that we would need to baptize and disciple. How crazy is that? What could God do with a group of 100 to 150 sold-out people to live on mission, to proclaim the gospel, and speak of the goodness and greatness and glory of Jesus just to a few close people in our lives? God, again, God's plan is to invest in the few to reach the masses. New City, the mission of God is urgent, but just imagine, what could God do? I mean, how many students and families and retirees could we reach? How many young professionals and high school students and middle school students could we reach if we each committed to invest and pray and consistently for just a few? What could God do? No, I have no idea what God's going to do, what he will do. But I do know this, if we don't pray for it, it likely won't happen. So what do we do? We pray. New City and the mission is urgent, and what a joy it is just to labor and worship with each of you in it. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. You have entrusted us with an incredible task and mission. We are not a people that are purposeless. God, you have given us a purpose. You've entrusted us with power. God, we just pray that the, the, the name of Jesus would be taken all over the world just by our simple obedience to invest in a few. God, we love you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.